0: Which is part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.cornerstone.org, stoneorg or by subscribing to our podcast.
1: Every great endeavor takes strategy and teamwork, risk and sacrifice. Enormous effort is required to secure even a foothold, so that more troops and supplies can be brought in to gain more ground, to liberate more people. Advancing the gospel to the last frontiers of the unreached also takes strategy and teamwork, risk, and sacrifice. From Eastern Europe to Eastern China, from hostile Hindu territory to Muslim strongholds in Central Asia, the Middle East, and Africa, Frontline Missions International is equipping Christians to take the gospel to the people who are hard to get to to the ones who seem least likely to listen frontline missions is advancing the gospel in the world's difficult places
2: before we came to Indonesia uh, to my knowledge I had never met a Muslim before and there was this fear of how do I share the gospel with someone who's never heard it but as we're living among our Muslim neighbors and friends, we're seeing that the gospel isn't just for the West. It is for these people, these friends of ours. There's one guy in particular that God has connected me with. And as we've built a relationship over the last few months, I've been praying for that perfect opportunity to give him the gospel. And just recently, God gave that opportunity. And I remember him asking questions about why Jesus died. And I was able to tell him for the first time that Jesus died for you. And then i was able to give him a copy of the gospel of luke and in the joy that that brought to me of seeing him for the first time here that god loved him and that jesus died for him
0: the lord has provided many opportunities for me to share the gospel with so many people here just sitting in a taxi talking to a taxi driver Riding on a train and striking up a conversation with the person next to you. Using your lessons in the classroom to reach out to the students. And just living your life in Christ in front of the people that you're with every day. Opportunities arise all the time. If you are seeking them and you are asking the Lord to open the doors, He will. One of the things that I always hear when I'm in the States is that I'm going to a war zone. I'm going to a place where it's closed, a closed country, and so you can't do anything, and you can't be effective there. The one thing that I love about being here in this country is that I have more opportunities than I ever did when I was in the States to share about the gospel, to share about Christ. One of my coworkers and I went on a trip to a different city And we ended up speaking for five hours about different spiritual things. And by the end of it, I was able to share the whole gospel story with her. And it's exciting when that happens because that's why we're here.
1: How do we gain access to unreached people? How do we cross borders into countries hostile to the gospel? One way is by partnering with pastors and Christian workers already serving in difficult places. But Frontline also pursues creative strategies to open even more doors for the gospel by harnessing the talents of professionals to serve long-term in countries closed to traditional missionaries. These men and women are uniquely positioned to work in meaningful ways that open doors for witness. In order to proclaim Christ, disciple believers, strengthen local churches, and plant new ones. Frontline Missions is a team from many nations reaching the nations. It is a partnership in the gospel.
0: Well, with the years of freedom churches in ukraine became stronger and more self-supported and so frontline mission uh, played an important role to help our churches to be involved in missions to think about uh, other countries so that uh, gospel will be preached there and people will be saved there the frontline mission help uh, churches in ukraine to send some uh, missionaries to Russia to be involved in a training programs there. And also provide Mission helped our churches actually find out about native preaching in Uzbekistan. Now, many churches in Ukraine, they support native workers in Uzbekistan. They pray about Uzbek brothers and sisters who go through persecution right now.
1: Opposition to the gospel has a long, violent history from the first century to the 21st century. Of the world's seven billion people, half live in countries where being a Christian could cost you your life.
3: We have it so good in this country. And I think oftentimes we take it for granted, and part of taking it for granted is not being cognizant of the fact that I can go wherever I want on a Sunday. Uh, They cannot. They have to meet in secret and in quiet, and there's a fear that if they try to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ, they'll be killed, their families will be killed. I mean, really, we have such a comfortable existence in this country, we lose sight of the fact that the whole world is not like that.
1: Frontline serves persecuted believers by raising awareness and prayer support and through advocacy efforts on Capitol Hill working behind the scenes to mobilize government leaders to pressure regimes that persecute Christians.
3: One of the things that helps me the most is to be able to talk to people who've been on the ground around the world, uh, sharing Christ and providing humanitarian aid. Uh, Groups like Frontline Missions, where I have people I know who come back from countries like Afghanistan and can tell me in a very concrete way that there are people that they work with who have been put in jail uh, by the government um, because of their faith. This gives me a lot of credibility to talk to uh, the State Department, to send letters make a little noise about what's happening and I have found if I get that kind of reliable information it helps me pressure the parts of the government that can pressure other governments around the world and we've seen prisoners released uh, and things change to a degree well obviously we have a long way to go uh, but without that information that comes from um, first-hand witnesses it's very difficult for me to have an impact in Washington there is no way Any member of Congress, even those of us who have it as a high priority, there is no way that we have access to the intelligence, the information that organizations like Frontline have.
1: every one of these soldiers stepped out into uncertainty going without hesitation into hostile territory driven by a cause greater than themselves what about the cause of Christ the gospel Jesus shed his blood for the sins of the world people often wonder why we would go to Difficult places, dangerous places. They didn't invite you. They don't want you there. There will be opposition.
2: Why do I bring my family to a Muslim country where there are risks? There's loneliness. There's fear on a daily basis. And we do it because Christ is worth it, and, and He's promised us that He will always be with us.
0: Thank you. When we've faced the greatest opposition, even when our pastors and brothers and sisters have been arrested, that's when God's grace and presence has been the greatest too. I feel like through the things that I have lost, through the things that have happened to me, through um, the imprisonment of teammates, through the death of teammates, through um, the kidnappings, through all of just daily life here, um, I have gotten to know Christ better. When you are stripped of everything, you realize what you do have, and what I do have is Christ, and He's enough.
1: Missions, at its core, is the Father sending the Son into this war zone to take on sin, and the demons, and the devil himself. Well, Christ won. He crushed his enemy at the cross, shedding his blood, rising again. Now his risen body is with the Father, and his redeemed body, the church, is still here, on mission, little lambs armed with love and truth. In any battle, there's a front line, and there's a supply line. And what a privilege that God calls us to take part, to live for a cause greater than ourselves, inspired by a heavenly vision, like the Apostle John's in the book of Revelation, when he saw people from every tribe and every language praising the Lord Jesus Christ. And this, actually, this vision is unfolding before us, right before our eyes. Worthy is the Lamb to receive honor and glory has change it to than Darin.
0: El Gao,
2: Yang. is El is I the
0: Worthy
2: is the land.
4: That was uh, an encouragement to you. And I want to say a few more things about that here. First of all, it's a privilege to be here. And, and I say that not because that's uh, sort of an expected greeting. You always open in time you go places. But it's always a privilege to be able to open the word, which we'll do here in just a moment, as well as to be able to share with you what God is doing. Um, if nothing else, I hope you leave here today convinced of one thing. And that is that God is alive and he's well and he's at work in our world today. And that starts right here, and that goes to the farthest ends of the earth and everything in between. Um, very quickly, who we are, and, and a couple words about what's on the back table there, and then we'll get the stuff that's really more important. But uh, so first of all, to alleviate any clarification, unless you think I took a really bad picture uh, in the border here, that is not me, if you happen to look through that. I do bring greetings from our director, my Frontline Missions International. His name is Tim Cassie. And uh, Tim and I actually both returned from overseas trips just about a week and a half ago. Um, Tim, knowing how rigorous his trip was going to be, and, uh, and it was a good thing because he's actually in physically pretty bad shape. So I'm actually sort of pinch hitting for Tim. <coughs> and over here, uh, instead, excuse me. As you can tell, I'm not doing particularly well myself. but. Uh, Sorry. It's one of those wake everybody up moments he just actually returned from China and he was in the land of Jordan and he's in the land of Iraq as well I'm happy to report that God is alive and well there I actually came back from the lands of Central Asia and uh, God is alive and well there as well in fact I'm going to tell you a couple of things he did just a week ago uh, to remind us I love missionary biographies do you ever read missionary biographies or and I'm a historian by trade so I like digging into the past and seeing the great works of God and things that He's done. And He did, He did do those things. But also, there's there's a danger in reading those old biographies of the past and seeing all the things that God did. And is that, I don't know about you, but I can tend to reduce the works of God at times almost into a once upon a time sort of routine, like centuries ago. God was really active and really powerful in doing some of these amazing things. Well, we praise Him for what He did in the past. But also what I want to briefly remind us of today, he's still doing it. He's still doing it in amazing ways, and I don't use that word randomly. There's a few things on that back table I would encourage you to take. Uh, One of those things is actually, it's a 20th anniversary. Uh, We're grateful God has given Frontline Missions International now 20 years of service. We are service organizations, and I would encourage you to take this and and just uh, read through it. This actually uh, illustrates some ways in which God is at work in our world. Uh, How does God reach the difficult places? The mission of Frontline Mission International is advancing the gospel in the world's difficult places. And people rightly ask, well, what do you mean by by difficult? Because every place is difficult. It is difficult right here. We define the word difficult in our mission statement as places where there's organized and systematic hostility to the gospel. And that's places of radical dictatorship, uh, Islamic brutal, Islamic radicalism, communist regimes, things of that nature, places where the gospel's not welcome, the name of Christ is not proclaimed, and where you can't go with, uh, you know, missionary or religious worker stamped on your visa. There's many parts of the world you can go. You can go to the lands of Latin America or or Japan or Western Europe, and you can kind of do church similarly to how we would do it here. There's a freedom and an openness to do that. But how do you advance the gospel in those places where that's not possible? How do you proclaim the name of Jesus Christ when it's illegal to do so? That's sort of our focus. And there's a number of newsletters back there. Please take these. If nothing else, Jamie and I have to pack them back up and put them in the box and take them back with us if you don't take them. So I would encourage you to grab as many of those as would be a blessing to you and read through them. they contain stories of what God is doing in our world today, reminding us that he's alive and well, and at work in our world. If you'd like to be on the mailing list of Frontline Missions International, there's a clipboard back there as well. Please go ahead and sign that. There's some email things you can receive as well as some physical mail, and if you could provide both, we'd be happy to do that, um, if it would be an encouragement to you. My background, 18 years I spent teaching in a university. God made it very clear after those 18 years in which I was doing cultural immersion trips, study abroad trips, working a lot with overseas entities, that uh, he wanted to uproot us out of our roots in the north, and so we moved down to upstate South Carolina. I was telling uh, Seth and Daryl and some others before that we've been having a terrible time convincing people with our accents that we're from upstate South Carolina, but we're doing our best, and we love our new home and happy to have it as a base of operations to so now I'll be full-time in missions. What does that mean? I don't know about you, but but over the years, I had some pretty traditional and stereotypical thoughts about what, missions look like and what a missionary was. But that's what I want to talk to you a little bit about today. You know, this DVD that we just looked at ended with Revelation 5, verse 9. Wonderful reminder that someday, if you're here and you're redeemed, and I don't take that for granted that everyone is. I became a believer and bowed my knee at age 19. I was churched all my life, but I didn't become a believer until 19 years of age. And just the fact that you're here today doesn't necessarily mean that you're a believer. If you are here and you're a believer and a follower and a disciple of Jesus Christ, then you and I and the others here will get to someday participate in this great choir that was mentioned there in Revelation 5, verse 9. Because Jesus, that perfect Lamb of God, has redeemed people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation, and we're all going to get together someday and we're going to praise him. And we're going to do it much better then than we do now. Because right now, I don't know much you. Well, actually, I do know about you. In that you carry around the same thing I do. It's called my flesh. It's my, my bad habits, my tendencies. It's my shallowness. And as hard as I try, and the Holy Spirit's still doing that work in me just as he's doing it in you, and we'd worship him as best we can, but we still do it rather imperfectly, don't we? Someday that's all going to change, and we will worship him perfectly in that day. That's actually part of this thing we call the Great Commission, where we're to make disciples of Jesus Christ for that day. But do you remember that, that Great Commission passage the end of Matthew and elsewhere where we're told to go and, and make disciples of all the nations? Part of that we will not be doing in that day, will we? Because when we get to that great choir in Revelation 5, verse 9, the only ones there will be the ones who have been redeemed. The others, unfortunately, are, are not going to be there. And that idea ought to just compel us to go out and tell them. Because right now is the only chance we're going to get to go and tell That's that part of the Great Commission. And there is some logic, isn't there? To wondering about how much time and effort we spend telling those who have heard scores, if not hundreds of times, when there are still almost 3 billion people who have never once in their lifetimes heard a clear gospel presentation. Uh, We've actually been over in China for many years and had people say, Jesus, 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 who's this this Jesus? Is he one of your great generals? Is he he a politician? Who is this Jesus I keep hearing about? They don't know. They've never heard the good news that we call the gospel. There are people throughout the Middle East and Central Asia who simply think of, of Esau or Jesus as a great prophet, but they still don't know that he's that lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice for their sin. They know very little about a loving relationship with God, and they need to be introduced to him. I tell you, it's a blessing to see God at work in those places. We are a service organization. We, we work through projects. That's translating the scriptures. That's something I want to share here in a moment. Uh, professional skills. Primarily emphasizing local believers. You know, God doesn't need Americans to go and save him, does he? He doesn't need us to go and create a bunch of little American churches. And, and he doesn't need America. If the United States of America disappeared tomorrow, I certainly hope it doesn't. But should it happen... God will not be taken from his throne. His kingdom will still advance because he made us a promise. Remember the promise in Matthew chapter 16? He actually directly said it to this guy named Peter. But but it was preserved for all of us to both hear and remember to the present. He said, Peter, that's pretty well spoken. Remember that passage? He said, in fact, upon that message, upon that rock, I'm going to build my church. And the gates of hell... They won't prevail against it. They they won't be able to thwart the advance of my kingdom. Peter, I'm going to keep building it and building it and building it and building it some more. And I'm going to continue building my church until I return. We have that promise, and that's exactly what God is doing. God's doing some pretty miraculous things. You remember the one thing I want you to leave with today? The reminder that God is alive and well and at work in our world today? Let me tell you about uh, Pastor River. That's his English name. It's not his real name, of course. It's the name we've given to him. River was the, as far as we know, uh, the third believer in his country just a few years ago. He lives in one of the oppressive nations of Central Asia. I'm sure there were others. We just don't know about them. If you ever hear someone say, there's no believer in this area, it's probably not true because God always has his people, whether they're known to others or not. But this is the third believer we know of. And River has been uh, severely persecuted for his faith. In Christ, he's been arrested. He's been, been tortured. He's been worked over pretty badly. His house has been bombed. He still has a huge crack going through his house there in that country in which he lived. His family's been threatened. He lives under a death threat. I mean, that's, that's the kind of existence River has. And he does all this joyfully. River was actually arrested along with his small congregation just a few months ago. They took him to the local prison. We really feared the worst. Surprisingly, they threatened him, told him not to preach anymore, and let him go. When that happened, there was a local minister of education that was incensed that all he had done is roughed up River a little bit and let him go with a threat. So this minister announced that those who loved Allah and those who wanted to teach this follower a lesson ought to gather that night in the city square bring their weapons, whatever they wanted, and they were going to go and finish off what the authorities should have. River heard of this? He prayed. Got down on his knees and prayed. They gathered that night. They were there with torches, weapons. They're about to go to River in his home. The guy who announced this, they said, raised his hand. He said he's about to usher them to go, almost like he's leading some type of charge, and he dropped dead of a heart attack. Right on the spot. And we're told, I I wasn't there. I'll tell you how I know this in a moment. But we're told to the extent they kind of looked down. And and, in my American imagination, I can see them all looking down and, you know, kind of like, you know, bummer. (laughs) You know, well, all right. So they disbanded. And River's life was preserved. However, his assistant the next day said, to honor this man's memory, this was a a lady, we need to reassemble again tonight and go and finish off what should have happened last night. They assembled that night. This lady now is there. She raises her hand and does something. I really don't know exactly the details, other than she's ushering. They're about to go to River's house, and you tell me. Drops to the ground of a heart attack. She survived, actually. I was just with River a week and a half ago over in Central Asia. He told me more stories beyond that. I can't believe it. You gotta be making this up. I know he's not. It's Book of Acts stuff. God's alive and well. Now I don't. Uh, I don't tell you that situation. That's a tragedy, because as far as I can tell, there's actually a third person that went after River and they also died. This mysterious death. By the way, no one's going after Pastor River right now. <laughs> he's free. God's given him. It's kind of what he did in, what God did in Acts chapter 16. Remember when they, when they beat Paul and Silas, uncondemned as Roman citizens? And then they came to throw them out of the prison. Remember what Paul said? Well, why don't you uh, let them come tell us to leave since they've beaten us uncondemned as Roman citizens. And and those Philippian officials went, what? Oh, man. They were in trouble. Why did Paul say that? I think it was the way Paul was giving that young, fragile church some breathing room. Those those authorities, those officials, were not going to hunt down Lydia and those, those other early believers. God gave them some time. I think God's given River and his congregation a little bit of time right now, but the persecution actually already has started again. But I don't say that to be... I mean, it's a tragedy. Three people are probably off in eternity without Christ. And that, that ought to compel us. Compel us to go and make sure they know. And by the way, I, I don't have time to tell you River's story. It's incredible. wish I could tell you about Malawu. <clears throat> the Malawu miracles. telling Seth a little bit about that earlier. Three and a half years ago, they were offering human sacrifices on this altar. Three and a half years ago. That altar is now smashed to pieces, stands in the shadow of a cross because over half of Malawi, Liberia, has come to Christ. I just going to tell you about the 30,000 Oromo Muslims who have come to Jesus in just the last 13 or 14 months now. Al Shabaab is going nuts over there. They don't know what to do, they can't contain the gospel. The gospel is just powerful. It goes viral everywhere it's unleashed. God is alive and well and at work in our world today. I have the incredible privilege of being able to travel to many places and rub shoulders with these giants of faith and be reminded of that fact. Here's what I wanted to point out to you today, though. How is God accomplishing that? How is all of this happening? And, and of course, one way to answer that is, well, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God is doing this. It's the power of his word. It's the advance of the gospel. And all those things are are right, but I'm talking even more practically. What are the practical human methods God's using to advance his gospel in all these places? If you want to turn there, you're welcome to. If not, let me just read you a passage. Exodus chapter 4. I want to build a metaphor in your mind, if I will, if I could, to, to answer that question, practically speaking, how is God doing this? While you're turning, if you'd like to, to Exodus chapter 4, let me tell you where this came from in my mind. A few months ago, I was actually researching another passage in Numbers chapter 20. I don't know if you remember, Numbers chapter 20 is where God told Moses, you remember Moses, the deliverer, and he said, speak to the rock, and the water will come gushing out, and, And do you remember what happened that second time? Did Moses speak to the rock? What did he do? Right, he beat that thing. He took his rod and he just struck the rock, we're told, and water came forth. God still performed a miracle, but Moses, you remember, is going to be punished for his disobedience and he's not allowed to go into that promised land. I was actually studying that passage out, trying to figure out exactly what Moses' sin was. You know, that the, the uh, theologians, they look at this thing, it's called the Pentateuchal Puzzle. There's a lot of different things that, you know, don't need to detain us here today. But I was studying through that passage, but there was one thing that kept arresting my attention, and I kept looking at it over and over. But you know what it was? It was that staff, that shepherd's rod that Moses was carrying at the time. And I got to thinking about that. And I started tracing it backwards from Numbers chapter 20. That staff got around, didn't it? I mean, you trace back to uh, wandering through the wilderness, In the, the first time Moses was told to strike the rock, and a miracle was performed. You remember when he held that staff, and they were fighting there in that battle, and as long as his hand and that staff were up in the air, the children of Israel prevailed in battle, but as soon as his hand started to drop, they lost, and so they had to get it back up, and, and they, they supported those hands and that staff. In fact, that thing keeps showing up. It gets kind of confusing if you've ever studied this out yourself to figure out if it's Moses' staff or Aaron's staff and rod that's being talked to because there's always a staff or a rod involved in these stories. Do you remember the Red Sea? What happened there? Right, it parted. Remember what was there? Moses' staff. God said, hold your staff up. Held it up, and the water parts on both sides. You go back to the plagues themselves and God's deliverance from Israel, and from Egypt, excuse me, and there's that staff, hitting the water, turning the blood, it's bringing frogs and lice and all these different things. Now, when we get to the end of all those stories, are we supposed to say, wow, what a staff? Is that the point of that account? It's not, is it? What are we supposed to say? wow, what a God. What a God that can take something so common and so ordinary and perform these miracles. The first time we're ever introduced to that staff is in Exodus chapter 4. If you have your Bibles there, I want to read something. Exodus chapter 3, you might remember, is the story where we're introduced to the burning bush. Remember that story? Moses is walking along with that staff and he sees this bush that's burning but not being consumed. And he rightly thinks, that's rather odd. He goes and investigates and that's where God calls him to go to Egypt. Do you remember what Moses said in response to God telling him to go to Egypt? Was Moses sort of a willing partner in this venture? He wasn't. Moses says, God, Pharaoh's not going to listen to me. I mean, He's a God. He's Horus on earth. When he dies to become Osiris, his father, he's not going to listen to me. Who should I even tell him is sending me? And you remember what God's response was? God said, you want to know? Okay. Here's who you tell Pharaoh is sending you. You just tell him I am sent you. It's the first time God revealed his personal name to anyone in all the scriptures. The great I am. It should have been enough, but it still wasn't enough for Moses. So then, Exodus chapter 4, starting in verse 1, the Bible says, <clears throat> Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. For they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. So the Lord said to him there in verse 2, Moses, what is that in your hand? And, and Moses said, A staff. Here is that staff. You can almost hear the nonchalantness in his voice. If you it's, it's just my staff. It's just a shepherd's rod. I've been, been poking sheep and beating wolves with this thing for many years. Now it's, it's just my staff. Verse 3, And he, God said to Moses, Throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses ran from it. And then the Lord said to Moses, Put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and he caught it and it became a staff in his hand. Why did God do this? Verse five, that I did this that they might believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, the God of Jacob has appeared to you. What was the question God asked Moses? Moses, what's in your hand? What's in your hand? That's the exact question I would like to leave with you today what's in your hand, Moses? God said, Moses, throw it down. Just just throw it down and see what I'll do with something so common and so ordinary. How is God accomplishing this great gospel advance around the world? Let me quickly tell you about Rick. Rick developed this, this insatiable burden for the people of Bangladesh. Bangladesh is the seventh largest population on earth packed into a country the size of Iowa. It's just a massive amount of humanity all in this tiny little country. And Rick just had a burden for these people because it's an unreached people group. But Rick was a little perplexed. Because you know what Rick's training was? What his background was? Rick was a barista. You might know what that is? Now, I'm not a coffee aficionado. Uh, the picture of the man you see in there, Tim, Tim Casier, director, he's like hardcore. Some of you probably are as well. I'm not. So w- with huge apologies to all of you who are, for those that don't know what a barista is, I'll, I'll just summarize it. They make coffee. <laughs> That's a pretty simple explanation, isn't it? <clears throat> they, they, they brew the coffee. They prepare it for you. If you go to you know, any coffee shop. That's what he did. He worked at Starbucks and Leopard Forest his entire life. God put this burden in the heart of Rick for the people of Bangladesh and gave him a background brewing coffee. Why would he do that? You know what God said to Rick? Rick, what's in your hand? You know what Rick said? Coffee beans? And God said, throw it down. Just throw it down and see what I'll do with it. Rick today lives in the country of Bangladesh. Bangladesh. He has started a coffee shop in Dhaka, the capital. He's persuaded two villages in the Chittagong district, the Hill Track Valley, to abandon all their agriculture, and they're growing a special type of coffee bean. He has the first coffee roasting business in the history of Bangladesh. They love him. He can even issue his own business visas there. He's good for the economy. He's good for the people. There's gospel, witness going out of his coffee shops. He employs Hindus, Muslims, Buddhists, and others. People are getting saved. Churches are being planted. The gospel's being advanced in Bangladesh. How? because Rick threw his coffee beans down. And God said, just throw it down. See what I'll do with it. Roland didn't get saved until he was in his mid-50s. Roland, his entire life, was a very successful well driller. He drilled wells. When he got saved, he knew he had to do something more for the one who had saved him. And God said to Roland, Roland, what's in your hand? And Roland said, cable, diesel, sweat? God said, throw it down. Just throw it down and see what i will do. Don't have time to tell you all of the Roland stories and how God is using him. Recently, he went and he drilled another well there in Africa and opened up villages of the gospel that a traditional missionary couldn't. Everyone needs water. Everyone welcomes someone like that in. In this particular case, he looked around. He tried to find the best place to drill the well. It just happened to be in front of the mosque. He got permission from the village elders to drill his, mo- or drill his well there. He drilled down a gusher. I think it was like 35 feet he got this water. And it came just, you know, bubbling forth. As is as Roland's habit, whenever he finishes a well, there's the cement foundation, and he etches into the foundation this well provided by followers of Jesus. He did this once again. The imam of the mosque was furious, as you might imagine. He came out, saw that. He called the tribal elders together there. He demanded, either this well goes or I go. We tell people, we really don't know where that imam is today. (laughs) But it's not there in that village because they said, okay. In fact, all over that part of Africa, through Roland's influence, they're turning the mosques into churches. Jesus is being worshiped and proclaimed. Why? Because Roland just threw down what was in his hand. Beth went to nursing school. Guy came to Beth. Beth, what's in your hand? Beth said, a stethoscope, a syringe. I don't know what would be in a nurse's hand. Guy said, throw it down. You actually saw Beth in that DVD. Beth was in a war zone in Central Asia for a number of years. And she was advancing the gospel and doing things that I couldn't do because in that culture, it's not acceptable for me, a man, to talk to the women. In fact, she couldn't do what my wife, she did what my wife couldn't do because it's not acceptable for a married woman to go out and about because it puts bad ideas into the minds of the other women. So what's the perfect profile to reach over half the population of that country? A single woman with a marketable skill. Men can't go to clinics to get well for their wives. They can't go to clinics to deliver babies for their wives. The women have to go out. They have to be exposed to Beth. She has to give them both her service, which she does not as a bait and switch. She does these things because it's part of her compassion as a follower of Jesus, but in the process, she gets a chance to share the words of life with them. God said to Beth, Beth, what's in your hand? Just throw it down. God is using some remarkably common things and common people to advance his gospel all around the world. I wish I had time to tell you more stories. I don't because I need to stop here. I wish I could tell you a week and a half ago, I could tell you how the United Nations is asking for missionaries to reach Muslims in Central Asia. Amazing story. I wish I had time to tell you all these other stories, but here's what I want to end with. Praise the Lord. He's advancing his gospel. He's building his church just like he said he would with very simple, common, ordinary things. God is alive, he's well, and he's at work in our world today. But here's what I don't want us to miss. God asks each of us the same question. You don't answer that question only when you cross an ocean or a political border. And so I ask you today, just using a metaphor, You understand good hermeneutics would say we would treat this passage much differently if we were expositing it and doing things. This is just a metaphor for for us to ask the question that I'm asking you now. What's in your hand? What's in your hand? Right here. Each one of you has something in your hand. God's put it there. It's a skill set. It's coworkers that you have access to that nobody else does. It's the neighborhood you live in. It's your, uh, your, your background. It's a trade. It's a tragedy. We all live in a sin-marred world, don't we? And some of us, all of us, have endured some pretty miserable things, and probably some more than others. That might be the very thing God has allowed you to carry, promised his grace to get you through it, and now he wants you to use it because that's what you have in your hand to share is your story. What's in your hand? Throw it down. If you haven't already, throw it down, and I promise you, based on the experiences of what we're seeing God do all around the world and what many of us can testify having seen in our own lives, he will take whatever common, ordinary thing you have that seems so routine and mundane, and he'll do some amazing things with it. Why? Because God is alive, he's well, and he's at work in our world today. Here and around the world, we praise him for it. Can I close this in prayer, and then we'll turn it over to Pastor Daryl here? Father, thank you for these few moments, for these stories, for these reminders, for the power of your word. And as we now continue with our worship that began when we first assembled here, and we praised you in song, we praise you for the power of the gospel and and the text that we've read, and we thank you for faithful examples that encourage us to keep on doing what you have called us to do. We ask that as we go from here in a few moments, we would go rejoicing and encourage that you're at work and that your gospel is powerful and not only can change our lives, but those we're praying for, those we come in contact with, we anticipate with eagerness what you're going to do in these next few days, weeks, and months as you carry the coming of your son. In Jesus' name.
5: Amen. Amen. Jim, why don't you just sit there for a moment? I want to ask you just a couple of questions before we conclude. Um, my first question you've really already answered, and uh, it has to do with with the ordinary uh, people that sit in this room, you know, we consider ourselves ordinary compared to those who go and do the things that you 're talking about. We have this fanciful fairy tale idea that missionaries are these elite force you know operations folks who go and do things that we could never do. I uh, was watching a military documentary this past week, and a soldier uh, said this this very thing about our soldiers around the world he said. As a soldier, I, I want you, everyday folks, to know that we're your brothers and sisters and sons and daughters, uh, we're, we're the guy next door going to do this, putting on this, this uh, armor and uh, carrying these weapons to go do this. We're, we're essentially no different than you. And your video compared there at the beginning and the end, missionaries to soldiers, um, my question was going to be, what do... Who are missionaries? Are, are they teachers? Are they, are they um, in essence, common folks? And you gave us many examples. But, um.
4: yeah, and I could even provide one more example. Um, you know, of course, dozens. But here's a, here's a real common one to this. I have a friend who actually is a businessman, uh, kind of an entrepreneur type, but, but nothing ordinary. I mean, nothing extraordinary at all. And he developed a plan for uh, starting a, a chain of ice cream shops all hmm. across northern Africa in a restricted access country. And it's incredibly ingenious in that uh, there's very low overhead. There are tourist destinations, other sites. All you need is a shack and an ice cream freezer. Hmm. And and he's gonna be able to now get into those countries and and actually hire other people, hire nationals. And so I tell people in Northern Africa, missions may advance in the future, um, one scoop at a time, (laughs) you know? And, And he is absolutely as common a guy as you're gonna find. Yeah, he just took a step of faith and, and did what what God has sort of dispositioned him to do.
5: Right, right. So we here at Cornerstone Church, we're tucked in this northeast corner of Georgia. We have in our hallway what we call our Beyond These Walls display, and it's got a map of the world, and it's got some of the organizations, including Frontline, that we pray for and would like to support. Uh, folks who are out doing um, on the front lines, what maybe we can support here in the uh, in the background. How? in some practical ways, Jim, tell us how we can, in our hearts and minds, get beyond these four walls, beyond these walls, and even beyond our community to understand what's going on in the kingdom around this whole world. Do you have any practical advice for for us who sit here in this small community in Georgia? How do we get our hearts and minds outside of what's going on in our little world?
4: Well, the first thing that comes to mind, and I'll admit up front, I don't have any sagely advice or great wisdom. This is going to be real common uh, of a response to that. But the first thing that, that does come to mind is live the gospel here. If you live the gospel here as it's intended to be done, Jesus and, and, and God the Father, they will expand your vision. Because hmm. um, we, all, we all live in a place and you live your, your what seems to you common and mundane, but if you truly live the gospel and see those miracles that God's doing all around you, the acts he's performing, I think he automatically enlarges our view. And then if you get purposeful, you know, and there's certainly resources uh, that you can uh, avail yourself of, there's people that you can talk to, but the fact is we live in the global village. Hmm. You know, that, that was a phrase that was loaded with political connotations a few years ago, but, but it's reality. Uh, you, we, we, we live in a global village. Uh, the, the rising generations, some of the younger people we have in here, it means nothing to them to hop on a plane and have fly halfway around the world. It's what we used to do in our generation, the we one above mine. We would contemplate and plan to go across the state to make a visit to someone. We live in a very small world. And, and really, we won't have to go to the world. The world has already come to us. Hmm. So in a practical sense, I would say live the gospel here, and God will enlarge your vision of seeing people and opportunities. And then purposely go out and avail yourself of some of the, uh, the resources, the materials that are there. And uh, ask God to put a burden on your heart for, for a people group or for a particular religious, uh, you know, background or something like that. <clears throat> uh, Tim did a college assignment, Tim Smith's his name, college assignment on a people called the Chuk people. It was just a, one of those random college assignments that you, you never even think about is important. I don't have time because we're out of time 15 years later to tell you how God used him in Siberia to reach the Chuk people coming out of a a college assignment for a class that he never knew God would take and use, Hmm. don't miss God's moving in the ordinary circumstances of your life Hmm. everything he gives us he gives us for a reason
5: last question, What, what if what if we in our churches like Cornerstone but here in America specifically, what if we employed the prayer life of missionaries like River right here what do you think
4: would happen it'd probably scare us. <laughs> I mean, I'm not being facetious. It, it's, I've been in places where the Holy Spirit has taken over and God does things, and, and it, honestly, it's, it's both, it's wow, and it's scary. You hmm. see that much power in how God just does things when he wants it. I think it was Seth, I was talking about before, the, before we started about uh, some of our partners in India. <clears throat> we went there and saw that at the end of every service, they always prayed for about 30 minutes. And most of their prayer was prayer requests for people who were sick, hmm. who were dying. Which tends to dominate a lot of our prayer services as well, doesn't it? Hmm. But the difference is, because we asked them, you know, why, why does it sound the way it sounds? Why do you do that? And, and they told us, well, we don't have doctors or hospitals. If we did, none of us could afford it anyway. If God's not going to heal us, we're going to die. And in the fervency of their prayer, we saw regularly see absolute miracles of God's hand of healing on their bodies doing things that no physician could ever explain. Uh, if we actually employed the power of prayer and, and utilized the power of the Holy Spirit in the way he intended, um, you know we would we would see a revival sweep this country. Hmm. And that's where God has left most of us. You saw missionary David Hassefluke up there? And I think of his words, people say to him, because God has very much richly blessed his ministry, and, and they say, David, we wish we could be like you. And he said, yeah, but, but, but you can't be like me because God has left you to minister. In fact, maybe God's going to call you to minister in some God-forsaken place like the United States of America. <laughs> and, and, and his point is well taken by the people he says that to because the needs here are huge, and God, he's busy building his church here as well. And, and to answer your question... That's the only way I know how. I think it, it would just, it would be both exhilarating and probably startling because because we don't really see it that much.
5: Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Hey, thank you, Jim, for coming and sharing with us. I appreciate it. If you would like more information on Frontline Ministries, there's a lot of information on the table here. And then uh, we also have them posted on our Beyond These Walls display. Let me, uh, let me, Conclude by using this as our challenge. You know, we added just a few months back our worship and prayer time, and we didn't just do that to have thirty minutes of extra music or uh, just to get you here early. Our our heart belief is that um, God will work through the fervent prayers of the righteous. And so let me let me encourage you and challenge you afresh to consider gathering at our ten thirty time. For 30 minutes, we prepare our hearts for what's going to happen here in the regular service, but also to uh, perhaps up our commitment to the power of prayer, to seek God and beseech him. And, you know, as my heart for, for bringing Frontline is, was to have someone else besides me or one of our elders to help maybe broaden our horizon of what's going on around this world to maybe spark something in you. And and I think Jim is right on when he says that it, it you going, perhaps, you being a missionary in the future, it's going to start right where you are. It's going to start in what God is doing right here, right now in your life. And so let me dare you <laughs> through prayer to just open that door for him. I I know there are missionaries right here in this small church. There are missionaries to places in the world that many of you have never heard of. Because missionaries are not anything more than you or I. They're, they're, they're no special elite Christians that God has gathered somewhere else. They're, they're you right here opening the door for God to say, let me use what's in your hand. And here's, here's how we're going to do it. Uh, if this is your first time, we haven't yet welcomed you, and I want to welcome you. I want to say that we're glad you're here. I hope that you found this congregation to be welcoming. We hope that you felt like this is home today. Let me ask, before we depart, would you, in your bulletin, take a moment before you leave to fill out that guest card and drop it in our offering box? That's the brown wooden box at the back of this room. We give our tithes and offerings in that box. We ask that you just make that guest card a part of your uh, contribution to our offering today. That's all we ask of you. We'd love to have a record of your visit. If you have questions about Cornerstone, mark it on there and we'll get back with you. The only announcement I'm going to give you is to look in your bulletin. Life groups are starting all this week and over the next couple weeks. Tuesday nights, Wednesday nights, Sunday mornings before church and after church. Some great groups. Make sure you get the info to jump in there. Those are listed in the bulletin, and there's some info around the church as well. I will say, come Wednesday night for our new Wednesday night family dinners uh, geared towards just fellowship, all right? Uh, Started this past week. We had a great turnout, great food. Uh, we just had a great time. There's a sign-up for that so we know how many people are coming. It's in the hallway just before our Beyond These Walls display on the bulletin board between the restrooms. We need to know if you're coming for that, uh, and we'd, we'd love for you to be with us here. Um, finally, let's pray and ask God to do in our hearts what uh, he's doing around the world. Dear Lord, um, I know there are missionaries sitting in this room. Missionaries to this community because you've been prompting in their heart to to be um, to be kingdom minded and not just career minded. You've been prompting in their heart to be grace focused and not just financially focused. You've been you've been through your grace and your love, showing them who you are—that great I am. You've been causing them to trust you more. And they've been opening up that door of their heart wider and wider. And they've been coming to trust you more and more. And they're sensing in their spirit that they need to be agents of change. They need to be the soldiers for the kingdom of grace in this very community. And there are there are others who are here, Father, who, who know that, that that may mean that that they're the soldiers who who cross a sea, who invade a land with grace, that um, that many of us have never even heard of before. But we trust that you can do amazing things, starting right here in our own hearts. We trust that you can do amazing things, starting in our own soul. Maybe the greatest miracle this morning is to get through to our hearts, to soften our hard heads, Lord. To know that there is, there is kingdom business and amazing kingdom business going on around this world. Give us hearts that will pray like, like river is prayed. Give us miracles here and around the world, like those we 've heard of in just these short few moments. Lord, we, we want to see the miraculous. right here at Cornerstone, we want to see the miraculous, Lord. Cause us to have the fervency of prayer. That the missionaries in uh, in the hardest places have. Lord, I I trust that Your Holy Spirit would speak to us. And Lord, I, I look forward as the pastor of this flock, in the coming days and the coming years, to hear that from this moment, You have flowered a mission. And maybe that one's heart. Or maybe that one's heart. And Lord, we'll rejoice looking back on the day where that seed was planted. Watered. And sprouted up. And we become the ones on videos like these. We love you, Lord. And we thank you for your grace. Be a big God right here. Be a big God around this world. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Hey, thanks for coming. Make sure that you uh, grab some info. Jim will be at the door out here and uh, make sure you encourage him, thank him for coming. Bless the Lord, amen. Have a great week, we love you.